Hi, this is Justin Smith again. I thought it would be helpful for us to do a wrap-up episode to kind of cover some of the larger themes that I saw across all these conversations that I had and kind of bring things together for us so you can think about this as we move forward. If you want to continue the conversation, again, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. You can also search justinsmithphd.com. It'll drive you there. So one of the things that we talked about with Jim Fackler, Dr. Jim Fackler, excuse me, uh, is the idea of curated data sets and how those are being used to train machine learning and AI models. And the fact that those data sets are so curated, they might not be representative of the whole reality of what's going on. And that's something I think that we're going to see more and more of coming to light where we're using or purchasing individuals or groups or companies are purchasing curated data sets because they're easier to use. But again, they might not be representative of the whole, the whole population. Uh, this is something that we think about a lot in science when we're doing our sampling. But at the same time, too, it's something that we need to really consider when we're doing our AI build and development. Something that popped up over and over across all of these conversations was the idea of humans providing feedback to artificial intelligence. And it's something I talked about also with Tristan Markwell, the idea of this kind of circular feedback where the human and the AI train each other and they get better together. And that's, that's one of those themes that I think we're starting to see emerge across multiple fields, you know, whether it's facial recognition or you know, autonomous driving or others, you know, other settings potentially in healthcare too, where as the computer gets better, the human gets better and the computer gets better and the human gets better. And so it's this nice spiral upwards of positiveness so that the machine's getting better at the same time augmenting the human, the human element. One of the downsides to that is that as the machines get so good, the expert will be losing some of their expertise potentially. Meaning that if you're the expert, you know, going back to Jim Fackler again, if you're the expert who's been doing medicine for 20 or 30 years or a career long, and you have something that's just coming in and they have all these tools and skill sets that are not quite as developed and the tools can help augment the less developed skill sets, there's an issue of losing the idea of the expertise, right? Uh, we see it with airline pilots now where they're so, some, some are dependent more and more depending on their level of training with the uh, autopilot. And then when a true emergency occurs, these, these individuals, the pilots, aren't as well trained as somebody who's flown without autopilot or flown with less autopilot for their, most of their career. And that's something I think that, you know, it's a bigger idea that we really need to kind of consider and think about. One of the things that keeps Jim up at night is the idea of false negatives, right? That idea that in medicine specifically where the result is positive, but the machine says and the algorithm says that it's a negative. And you have to have the human step in and say, you know what, that still just doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't look right to me. How can we address that? Uh, and and <laughs> Jim does a great example with the Star Wars analogy, right? Where he's got Luke flying down into the Death Star to destroy it. And everything goes haywire. All of his computer systems are broken. He says, use the force. And so he just uses the force to complete his mission. And that's the idea with, you know, worrying about false negatives where you have to know when to quote unquote, use the force to be able to make that successful. Transitioning out our conversation with Liliana. So we talked a lot about kind of how we're in a transitional moment and the idea where we have to increase our understanding of artificial intelligence. We have to worry about its control. And also she started to kind of help bring up for me, which we talked about in many other conversations, the idea of the ethics, the ethics involved. As you'll notice, and when you listen across all the different series and episodes of the podcast, is ethics came up, I think, in every single episode. And it's something that we're thinking about as a group of individuals that are highly involved with the technology. But even if you're not involved with the technology, you still should really be thinking about how are these systems being developed so that they are ethical, that they're not biased. 
when I was speaking with Ileana, one of the things that kind of came out again, one of those big topics was the the merger between business innovation and technology and that we have to co-create across these groups. So you no longer have the separation of individuals, the teams that are just building the technology and then they deliver it to the business end user. You know, Liliana makes a very strong point and a good case that these teams need to be integrated together and building the product or building the experience from the beginning with the same goal in mind, but using both of their expertise, the business side, along with the technology side, kind of integrating those together so that when it comes to the final end, you know, deployment, it's not something that's completely off the mark and the business says we don't have a use for this anymore. And it's kind of been worked with uh, with the end users or for the end users kind of throughout the whole process. I've heard other individuals, you know, talk about this in a design setting too, where you want to have people that are going to be using the product or helping to touch the product all the way along from the design portion from the very beginning and the inception of the kind of the creation of the idea. A uh, great example is, you know, toy marketing, right? So if you can design a toy slightly differently, so it looks a little bit better in the packaging, so when it sits on the shelf, it can be displayed, you know, in a more kind of better way. That's a very powerful way to think about it where I know I understand that in the toy and designing industry, a lot of times the packaging people get the toy after it's already been done. It's the final draft. They're going to have to use it no matter what. And they have to do their design of the packaging around what's already been done. Whereas if they can be a part of it from the beginning, then they can say, oh, if we just take and, you know, make the arm of this, you know, character a little bit shorter here, we can really put that into a package in a cooler, different way. Um, and I think that's the idea that Liliana was getting to with where you can pull it together with the two teams kind of collaborating from the, the inception of the idea or whatever it is you're trying to build. A final point when speaking with Liliana that kind of came to my mind was making our jobs more human and cerebral and less technical or automated. Um, she talks about her example of using the facial recognition to check in and board the airplane and how that takes out of the hands of the gate person to you know check you in and have to stand in line to where it's this much more of a human to human interaction so the person at the gate is asking you know how was your day how are you making more eye contact interacting with the customer much more as a human letting the artificial intelligence or the machine and the algorithms do a lot of the background work instead of having the human typing into a keyboard and staring at a computer screen and that's the idea where you know when i spoke with tristan and also with camille and finally with Dave O'Hara, the idea kind of crosses all of these boundaries of we are our best case scenario is to have this technology and AI built so that it takes away from us the time we spend staring at screens and pushes it so that we can be more interacting, more connected as human beings and kind of, you know, make things better. I think that's the, that's the short answer. When I think back on my conversation with Tristan Markwell, uh, kind of bridging the gap between Tristan and Liliana was that idea of we want machine learning and we want to apply it to, we want to apply machine learning to tasks that are boring to humans, right? Kind of as I just, you know, finished discussing the last point with Liliana of making us more human, but take that machine learning and make it so that everything that we don't, don't like to do, we can pull out and have machines help us or at least make it so it's a lot less burdensome. Uh, and it's the idea too, talking to Tristan, that the small steps forward is what will derive value for us, right? We don't want to try and have us jump from our current state where we are now to a general artificial intelligence that's going to run our whole lives for us. We want to be able to apply it in the background so that all the things that we're doing that we want to think about can be done. You know, another example of that is, you know, think about if you didn't have to, you know, add up your receipts at the end of, you know, the end of the year for tax season, you just took a picture, had an app or, you know, I think those apps are out there currently. 
but it was done and it helped you. So it said, when you're ready to do your taxes, hey, here's a short form for you to fill out. Does this look correct? Because you've been doing these small steps over and we've taken care of, we've being the machines, the AI has taken care of all of that background work. And so when you're done, instead of taking four or five or six hours to do your taxes, it takes 15 minutes to review everything. And you say, yep, that's correct. Sounds good. Let's go. And the nice part for the end, the end user, the consumer is that they don't really care. They don't have to care about how that's being done because it's been designed purposely and done well. So that person that would take four to six hours to their taxes can now go and play with their kids. You know, can now go for a walk with their dog in the park if they want, instead of sitting in front of a computer, banging away and trying to figure out where is that receipt or did I purchase this or not this year or was that last year? Tristan also did a really good job and kind of one of those themes again that we saw throughout was the idea of the human and the AI learning together. You know, I see it as kind of that symbiotic, beginning of a symbiotic relationship where the better we get at developing AI that becomes more seamlessly used within our technology, the better the AI gets and the better the humans will get at using it. Uh, one of the fears that we talked about with AI was the idea that there's uh, there's more hype to the AI than the expectations and that we're moving too fast. I think that's a concern for all of us that are kind of pushing the forefront of technology is that, is this being hyped too much? Are people using the words artificial intelligence as a sales buzzword versus something that's actually being you know, usefully produced and has a benefit to the product. The idea of predictions becoming extremely cheap was a great point and something that I think about that we're starting to look at and view, maybe not on the forefront of our minds, not consciously, but we're recognizing that we can now decide, do we want to predict that or not? And, you know, with that comes the ethical considerations of should we predict that or not? But the same t- the same time, that moment of, we can now build models that make predictions extremely cheap, which what that allows us to do, which is what David O'Hara was talking about it with, is it changes and it moves our cognitive load as human beings away from worrying about counting or writing things down or doing something that takes you know mental effort and puts it in the background, right? And so, you know, as David O'Hara was talking about kind of that big theme of we always have this fear of technology because it's changing how we interact with the world as human beings. Whereas historically, people would memorize these massive, large texts of stories. And now when we can write things down, we can let it sit on the shelf in the form of a book. But what does that mean for predictions and machine learning where in the future, how to do calculus or how to figure out the angle of attack or how to, how to figure out some sort of really complex thing can just be done. And you don't have to understand how it's done anymore, which goes back to the idea of Dr. Fackler. Yeah, Dr. Fackler with the idea of loss of expertise, right? Is it important for me to know how to memorize a 10,000 page document? I would argue no. Is it important for me to know how to understand what are the big themes and thoughts and ideas coming out of that 10,000 page document? I would argue yes. You know, in wrapping up my conversation with Tristan, one of the things we both agreed on that would be fantastic is having artificial intelligence be able to buy back our time so we can do more positive and creative things as human beings, spend more time with the people that we care about, spend more time doing those things that we really enjoy and moving that automation and the machine learning and artificial intelligence kind of into the background so it takes care of all those routine tasks that right now we're required to do, but in the future will just sort of be done, in the future they'll be done automatically. In a little bit of a different vein, I was able to talk with Camille What Camille lets us understand is the idea that there's no current legal framework or definition around artificial intelligence. The inventor of the technology helps to define it, which for me was a moment of realizing how close to the forefront of this technology being that we don't even have a legal legal definition to say if something is artificial intelligence or not. 
and that the intellectual property is developed through this kind of teamwork, you know, development where it's the inventor invents something and then the, the attorneys step in and say, okay, what is the exact intellectual property that you'd like to protect here? Um, and we also, you know, in our, in our discussion has ebbed and flowed, we talked about how the, the legal system and law is not the solution to ethical issues. And so the ethical issues have to be decided outside of law, which again is a great segue into the conversation with David O'Hara too of, you know, we are not trained, unfortunately, we are not trained very well in how to make logical, ethical decision-making, you know, from a very stepped back from, uh, you know, emotional examples. That's not part of our training, even in advanced degrees, much less at, you know, an elementary, middle school or high school level where, you know, we think about things in terms of ethics. And so if one thing comes out of this idea, ethics is getting a lot of publicity right now of how do we make ethical systems? How do we make them non-biased? But we have to start back at the source where with our younger individuals, how do we think about ethics? How do we talk about ethics? How do we decide what is and isn't ethical? Uh, when I talk with my friends, you know, the MDs or PhDs, you know, the, their joking response is, well, you just know. And it can't be that way. We have to say there's a more formalized process that we all have as a standard to understand what is and is not ethical. There's no guidelines yet for artificial intelligence. There's no formalized ideas on what is, uh, what is okay and not okay. Um, Camille talked about how we're kind of just before at some point in the future from now, there will be a massive lawsuit litigation will happen that will then determine where are we as a culture? Where are we as a society? Where are we as humanity with our boundaries of what are we comfortable with AI making decisions for us? Uh, what are we comfortable with, with how we engage with this technology? Where are we okay saying, uh, you know, using the autonomous, the autonomous driving car example, um, when life is at stake, how do we value that? And at this point, we just don't know. And, you know, there will see some guidelines coming out of that. But at this point, it's, it's, not, it's not clear yet. One of the concerns for Camille, which I think, again, starts to pop up in other industries too, but it's the idea of the giant separation gap that's going to start to happen and be exacerbated even more between those individuals that have the education and access to the new technology and those that don't. Um, there'll be a vast, vast separation in the future, potentially, this is the worst case scenario, between the haves and have-nots. Um, and how will we work so that we make it more of an even playing field? Or how do we make it so that artificial intelligence isn't something that is able to be used for good and hopefully not, but potentially for evil, only by the individuals that have access to the technology that can develop it and understand it and kind of you know separating humanity and classes even more than they currently are. And that's something where, you know, through education, I think is one of the powerful ways to combat that. But it's something that we have to actually think about, make, make a conscious decision on. As I was leaving the conversation with Camille, we, we touched on this lightly, but I think it's another very important point to come up and bring, you know, another important point to bring up again. But it's the idea that our current laws and legal system are built around the ideas of actions by a reasonable person. And for me, the big word in that sentence is person. Right? How do we look at shifting and changing our legal system that in, hopefully embeds within it ethical decision-making so that it's not only just around a person any longer, but also around potentially artificial intelligence that may be making decisions like a person? And that's, that's one of those moments that really keeps, keeps me intrigued in this from the ethical side of how are we going to deal with that? You know, will it be separate across the world? 
where you know different countries or different portions of the world have different ethical and frameworks around what is and what isn't reasonable. Um, I think that's something that will be shelled out here in the future, but it's something at least we can start to think about at this point. So in my conversation with Dr. David O'Hara, it was very fascinating because he has a philosopher's take on kind of artificial intelligence and a little bit different perspective from somebody that say is building it or looking at defending it or building the intellectual property around it or you know using it in a healthcare setting or or in other industries, right? Like Liliana. But again, it's something that when you say it, it sounds it makes sense because you you've been thinking about it, but you haven't been thinking about it pointedly. But it was the idea talking with David about the the fear of technology has been common throughout human history. Again, as we just talked about, you know, the the idea of when we went from memorizing large large bodies of work to then writing them down, and now they can sit on the bookshelf, you know, that's been a fear of us as human. That's been a fear that's been innate with, within us as humans because we understand that technology can be used for good or it can be used for evil. And I, again, I think this technology of artificial intelligence has the potential for great benefits to society and great deleterious effects for society too. And so that's part of what, you know, we as, a, we as humanity start to feel that uncomfortableness, recognizing that, you know, we see the benefits, but we potentially also see the negativeness that could come with it. And that is a huge thing that we really need to think about. And part of it, when we're developing, you know, these machine learning algorithms or developing AI systems is that we really want these machines, these AI tools to imitate us as humans at our best and not at our worst. Um, that's a really, really kind of thoughtful thing, I think, for, to, for David to say and to kind of comment on, and that I think about often too, is build this system as if no one is watching, I'm, I'm acting as ethically and best as possible, even though I know as a human, I'm not perfect. And we're never gonna build a perfect system, but at least we can try and make it so it imitates us at our best and not at our worst. The ripple effects from how we're designing things now has powerful implications down the road, right? So we, we have to decide, we must decide now how we want to shape our future as humanity using this technology. It's going to change how we go about our day-to-day -day lives. We have to think about ethics at a corporation level. We have to think about ethics as a society level, not just ethics as an individual. Whereas if somebody wants to walk by that piece of trash and not throw it to the trash can that's right next to it, does that have profound effects on society? Maybe or maybe not, but if you have a machine that's going to say, I'm not worried about that. That's a little piece of trash. I'll just keep going. And it, it's built that way over and over again. And it sees 10,000 pieces of trash in a day. That may be an issue, right? So it's the idea again of going back to building things, how we should be acting in our best case scenario, pick up that piece of trash, put it in the trash can, building those into systems. So it's not just going to ignore and have kind of these secondary and tertiary effects that we're not ready to recognize that could be negative, that could be negative for us. As we kind of wrap this all up, I think artificial intelligence has the ability to become a new tool that will change the way that we are able to interact and participate in the world around us, both as human beings, but also as kind of a species across the planet. And with these new tools, my hope is that we get to do new and cooler things. It frees up all of the boring day-to-day -day tasks that we could definitely push towards an automated intelligence system to say, hey, help me make this better and save us the time and cognitive load and effort that we're now currently spending so that we can go on and do things that are more human and more beneficial to not only ourselves, but to the world. 
Thank you very much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. I had a wonderful time putting this together, and I can't say thank you enough to the individuals that came on and had conversations with me. Again, if you'd like to continue this conversation, please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, or you can search justinsmithphd.com. I look forward to connecting.